Lowry on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Now, the host of a Cavalier podcast celebrating a 75% win percentage. Three and one. The Cavs climbed to three and one on the season. We have seen a string of victories. The first couple led by Donovan Mitchell. This one, a distinctly different feeling as we walked away from the night. But despite just a, a horrible night all around from Donovan Mitchell, it did not matter because the Cavs came away with a victory due in large part to a pretty balanced effort. The first half, the story of the first half, the wings. The story of the second half, the bigs. The story of neither half, Mitchell. And in the end, the Cavaliers now climb into the upper end of the Eastern Conference standings, heading into a Friday showdown where they will take on the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics off to a good start themselves as they presently sit at 3-1, and one, the same record as the Cavaliers. But here's the thing with the Celtics. This was a squad last year that was built on defense. The best defense in the NBA, also a very solid offense. This season, to begin the year, this is an offense-driven team, as they are presently the third-ranked offense in the NBA, while their defense has slipped all the way to 23rd. Now, it's, it's tough to take too much out of that this early in the season, and the same could be said for the Cavs, because it is largely dependent and swings wildly game-to-game depending on who you faced. The Cavaliers coming into tonight against the Magic were the fifth-ranked offense and the fifth-ranked defense, a team that was shooting a blistering percentage from three-point land and looked great on both sides of the ball. After tonight's very sloppy, somewhat low-scoring affair against the Orlando Magic, unsurprisingly, they vaulted to the second-best defense in the NBA, while sliding to the ninth-best offense in the NBA. Still, the second-best net rating, just behind the Dallas Mavericks, who, again, are just 1-2 and on the season at the time of recording this podcast. So, numbers are impressive. I enjoy looking at the stats. I enjoy seeing things like these. But it is not the be-all, end-all. Now, let's get into some numbers. Throughout the first half, the story was the Wings. Donovan Mitchell did not play well tonight. He started the first half. He was just... 3 for 12, not an outburst that you're used to seeing from a guy who coming into the game was doing 33, 5, and 7, and definitely amongst the people being talked about as early season MVP favorites. And this is just one game. Obviously, he can shake that off. If he does it on a big stage against the Boston Celtics, that will carry a lot more weight than what we saw here tonight. But what we did get in the pregame, Chris Fedor announcing this uh, on Twitter today, and I wasn't shocked just due to what we saw the final preseason game of the year. But the Orlando Magic are a very big team. They boast a ton of seven-footers. Mo Bamba, Bol Bol, Wendell Carter Jr. is right there, Paolo Banquero, Franz Wagner. They're all very big, not necessarily all seven-footers, but all hovering around that seven-foot mark. Amongst teams in the league, there are very few that have the length and the height of the squads that we saw face off tonight in the Cavaliers and the Orlando Magic. But in the preseason, we saw them experiment with a lineup where they started Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., 
Bancaro at the three, Franz Wagner at the two, and Cole Anthony as the point guard. I thought we might see them go that way again. And I thought that in part because the announcement Chris Fedor had before the game was that Dean Wade would slide in as the starting small forward, Karis Levert would slide to shooting guard, and Isaac Okoro would slide to the bench. So he was removed from the starting lineup, which, while his play certainly could have dictated that, just independent of any matchup issues, situationally, it just made sense. We saw in that final preseason game, Bancaro had no problem shooting over Okoro. It just wasn't really a matchup that was ideal. And even when he would get switched off on Wagner, that's another big guy who can get his shot up and over him. And Levert is just a little bit longer. You can hide him a little bit better because Dean Wade is tall, pretty mobile on defense, a better matchup for this big team. So, And it paid dividends because the story of the first quarter was Karis Levert. He was pretty much the one making the, the action move in the beginning. We missed a lot of shots around the rim, but all in all, the Cavaliers team was pretty solid outside of the paint in the first half. In the first quarter, we saw Karis LeVert himself knock down two threes in the left corner. Now, that is not a shot that has been a regular part of the LeVert arsenal. Last season, the whole season, I'm talking his tenure with the Pacers and his tenure with the Cavs, LeVert went three for 15 on corner threes from the left. Only 20%. And that is an incredibly small sample. So you're, you're talking about he's taken one roughly every five to six games. Tonight, he made three corner threes, two from the left and one from the right. He equaled that entire season total from the left and made corner three-pointers tonight. And that was a shot that the Cavs feasted on. If they put up a three from the left corner, they were going down. We saw them from Neto. We saw a couple from Dean Wade. We saw Levert hit two. We saw Osmond get a good look off from there. So we've debated this endlessly. Who's the small forward? Who's the guy to play? But this timeshare is working at the moment because we're getting productive basketball. Levert led the way in terms of facilitation. Six assists in the first half. Osmond, his regular first half scoring barrage, finished the game with 14 points, but 10 of those came in the first half. Wade had nine points in the first half, three of his four three-pointers tonight. Everything that he hit tonight basically was a three-point look, all of his attempts. You don't need a ton on offense from him, but if he's giving you comparable defense to what we're getting out of Okoro, and mind you, I just said it a few moments ago, we as a team are playing excellent defense, extremely active, currently the second-ranked defense in the NBA. And this is all despite what I think many people would consider a slow start from Mobley until the second half of tonight. Jared Allen has been everywhere in every game, just a monster game in and game out, the most consistent Cavalier to this point of the season. But the luxury of being able to have Wade with such size and the ability to stretch the floor because Love was not good tonight. Mitchell was not good tonight. Those are two of our best three-point shooters and despite that, we were a respectable first-half team shooting the ball. Coming out of the first half, we were still shooting over 40% from three-point land. Now, we cooled off in the second half. They cooled off as well in the second half. The Magic, throughout the course of the game, shot just 6 for 24 from three-point land. That's 25%. You had to be pleased with the Cavaliers' effort on the defensive end. And I thought coming into the second half, we would probably see Mitchell heat up. But what we got to see instead 
was after a fairly quiet first half where we just got five points out of Mobley, he went bananas in the second half. 17 points out of his 22 points all came in the second half, an especially huge third quarter because for whatever reason, Orlando was trying to switch guys onto him that Mobley was just going to have no problem with. They have a lot of height. You want to put Wendell Carter Jr. on him. You want to put Bull Bull or Bamba on him. That's one thing. But to put Harris on him and to and to put Ross and to switch some of these guys who were just getting roasted because the Magic guards were objectively terrible. And I'm not just saying that from a shooting perspective. I'm saying that across the floor. Terrence Ross, 3 for 10. Cole Anthony, 2 for 10. Harris, 0 for 3. Didn't make a single bucket, had two turnovers. Terrible. He had one where Levert blocked him. They originally called it as a foul on Levert. Reviewed it. That went against him. Then pretty much the next time down the court, Mobley got switched onto him and just feasted. So Mobley finished this game 9 for 15 from the floor with 22 points. Clearly his highest scoring output of the season. And if you were to look at averages, which again are deceptive because we've only played four games, he's presently averaging slightly more, slightly more rather, than last season's. Rebounding has regressed. Rim protection is not really there right now at this point in the season compared to where it was last year, but still obviously an excellent defender. But we haven't seen the highlight blocks that we saw last year. Most of these are being swallowed up by Jared Allen, who is a double-double machine. Another seven offensive rebounds tonight. 16 boards, 18 points. And he just had his way with the Magic, who are a very big team. I mean, you had three guys on that squad who almost had double-digit rebounds themselves. Bull Bull had 10. Bancaro had 8. Wendell Carter Jr. had 9. But Jared Allen seemed like he dominated the glass whenever he was down there. And he had a couple of highlight plays. An and-one dunk that he finished... But my favorite was when Bull Bull thought he was going to keep him from the rim, and Allen just went through him and mushed him. Jared Allen still the second most likely Cavalier to make the NBA All-Star game because he just keeps churning out numbers. But you know what's incredible? While I do think the Cavs, this is mostly a celebration of Cleveland, that Orlando team is an interesting squad. Wagner was getting whatever he wanted in that first half, and it was so predictable. Every bucket he made was straight on or from the left side. I kept wondering, why aren't we forcing him right? And there were times where they rode up on his left hand and he managed to go right and then get turned back left again and again. And this was a guy who I thought was kind of the default fifth guy on the all-NBA rookie team last year because there was the four you know, highly talked about, highly touted guys and then there was Wagner, who was just the consistent guy who exceeded expectations over the course of the year, but didn't put up spectacular numbers, but just contributed sooner and more consistently than anyone expected because everybody thought Jalen Green would be good. Everybody thought Kate Cunningham would be good. Evan Mobley would be good. Scotty Barnes, of any of those top four of the guys, was the one who sort of came out of nowhere, but he was 1A and 1B with Evan Mobley for Rookie of the Year and, of course, won the award. Those four were the guys I kind of felt like got the most shine, and then Wagner felt like a bit of an afterthought. Even in Orlando, he wasn't the first rookie taken. They took Suggs, who has had a bunch of injury issues, but Wagner has turned out to be the story there. That is an interesting pairing, a tall, solid defender alongside Bancaro, who, while big, while big on the glass, while good inside, is also good from range. And this rookie class 
early on, there's been some truly impressive showings. Matherin in Indiana is averaging over 20 points a game, which that for me is always the barometer of the difference between a normal rookie and a special rookie. Now this early in the season, it's too small of a sample to make those judgments. But the fact that we're four or five games in and we've got five guys who all could potentially be putting up more impressive stat lines than what we saw out of Evan Mobley last year is saying something. And that's not to say they'll be better rookies than Mobley was, because clearly a lot of Mobley's impact doesn't translate to box scores. Defensively, he's a monster, a guy everybody acknowledges will be one of the best defenders in the league. But to get five rookies who are doing as much as we're seeing out of some of these guys right now is pretty incredible, because you've got Bancaro, 24 points a game. You've got Matherin, over 20 points a game. You've got Jaden Ivey in Detroit doing 16 points with four or five rebounds and four or five assists. And then Jabari Smith Jr. with Houston and Keegan Murray. All those guys, that's probably going to be your all-rookie team front runners as it stands now. But there are interesting players all over the league uh, in their first year. And Orlando is one of those ones who Houston, between Eason and Jabari Smith Jr., They're kind of the one this year who's the Orlando of last year with having these two interesting rookies who both are contributing pretty early on. To get Wagner and Suggs in one draft class and then to get Jabari Smith Jr. and Eason in another, that's pretty impressive. And I know it sounds crazy to say this because there is a lot of talent in the East and there's always guys who put up numbers. But as it stands now, Bancaro in five games is averaging over 24 points a game. I know that he's on a team that doesn't have as much talent and his percentages, they're not blowing you away. But still, a rookie that productive is almost unheard of. This could be a guy who's vying for an all-star spot if this continues, if these personal accolades continue. We've rarely seen a rookie this productive. And this was a guy who was being debated as, well, which of the three, Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith Jr. or Paolo Bancaro, most people thought it would be one of the other two. There was a lot of people who similarly to Evan Mobley thought, okay, well, he's a great prospect, but he's probably not going till third. And then Orlando committed to Bancaro. I don't think you can question their decision because he just looks mature and poised for his age. So I know they didn't come away with a win, and I know they have five losses and zero victories on the season, but it is an interesting squad. And this is to say nothing. As tall as they already are, Don't forget, that's a team that committed $80 million to Jonathan Isaac, who was playing small forward or power forward, seven-footer, and was one of the best defenders the league had for that brief stint, although that he got hurt and he hasn't strung it together over a long period of time, and he's been gone for an exceptionally long time. This team, uh, if you like height, which I do, because again, you got 40 points from our big men tonight, And I love seeing teams roll out those giant lineups. The Magic are one of those teams that you have to like because it's a similar construction to Cleveland in the sense that they're prioritizing length and height. And one more thing I wanted to touch on with the Bancaro thing because I saw this stat today and I thought it was pretty impressive. Now, I don't think anybody anticipates he's going to finish the season averaging 24 points a game, but I do think 20 is a realistic number for him given how productive he's been from day one, and how his range is really a compliment that Evan Mobley didn't even have last year. This is a guy who can stretch the floor out and has shown the ability to take threes, and he's taking them 
at a reasonably high volume already with over four attempts per game, which is rare for a big man. How, do you know how many guys have averaged 20 points a game? Just to give you a barometer, if he can just eclipse that, to say nothing of 24 points a game. I mean, if he finished the season averaging 24 points a game, that would be more than any rookie that we have seen in this, what is it, century, millennium? What do you call it? From 2000 on? I don't know the term. I'm too stupid for that, apparently. But since 2000 on, there have only been 10 or 12 guys. Here's the, here's the list. I'm going to give you the whole list. Elton Brand averaged 20 points a game. LeBron James averaged 21 points a game. Melo, 21 points a game. Kevin Durant, here's an anomaly. Tyreek Evans, 20 points a game for Sacramento. Blake Griffin, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, Doncic, Zion Williamson, and now two guys this year as it stands at the moment. Matherin and Paolo Bancaro. It's a rare feat. We don't even get one a year. If he ends up with those numbers, the other guys I listed there, some of them are first ballot Hall of Fame players. One of them is the discussion as the greatest of all time. Donovan Mitchell. No, just kidding. LeBron James. Just, I just wanted to put into context how rare it truly is. And I know this, is, this podcast is now turning into a bit of a Ben Carroll love fest. But given that we've got two days off until the Celtics game, I think it warranted some context. Let's get back to the Cavs for a moment, though. And then I want to touch on the whole Devin Booker, Clay Thompson thing. So one of the developments in the pregame that we alluded to earlier was that Dean Wade has surpassed Okoro in the rotation. And Okoro saw very limited minutes tonight, just 11 minutes, didn't do much of anything. Had two points, had one rebound. That was it. Super quiet. And Dean Wade, just 12 points, three rebounds. That Those numbers don't sound huge, but the fact that he took seven outside looks and he made four of them, that was good for the best three-point shooting percentage on the team tonight. In a night where Mitchell struggled, was 1 of 7, Kevin Love was 0 for 5, even Osman, who was good tonight, was 1 for 5 from outside. So you don't need Dean Wade to do much. If he's just an effective floor spacer, his defense is more than adequate to hold that position down. And the fact that the Cavs inked him to that deal I don't know why it's been relatively hit or miss out of the gate, somewhat inconsistent. In my mind, I just don't know how you can go back after this debut of him in the starting lineup when you have another team who you need formidable defense against because the Boston Celtics, as it stands now, are the second best offense in the league still. So they're going to come out with a lot of firepower and we need the type of offensive firepower that Wade gives you that Okoro just isn't right now. And I'm not, this is one of the things I don't like is, you know, I pay attention to what people are writing on Cavs Twitter and Cavs Reddit, and there's always a lot of Okoro slander. And I get the frustration, don't get me wrong. He is far from a perfect player. But I don't like the narrative that he hasn't improved at all because I don't think that that's fair. I do think he took a step forward last year I think the problem is, and it always has been since we drafted him, is that he came in at an unacceptably bad point of offense, where even a marginal climb, a 6% jump from three-point land last year to get into the mid-30s, that is an improvement. That is an improvement that deserves acknowledging. The problem is we're seeing more and more elite three-point shooters and guys who aren't scared to take shots. If there is one area, I agree that Okoro has not improved in, it's his in-game assertiveness in the regular season. It's just 
hit or miss. It's not really there. He doesn't appear this season to have come out of the gates confident in his ability or confident that he's developed any more to his game. And he's settled into this role where he's happy disappearing on the offensive end and simply taking on the defensive assignments that we throw at him. I don't think Dean Wade's defense is enough of a fall-off that sometimes his height and his length more than makes up for it. That's to say nothing of his offensive contributions. Guys like Osman and guys like Wade, they have answered the call. Mobley tonight, with Wade in there, look how much more effective he was. And did you see Mobley get all the doubles that he got some of the last couple games? No, not as quickly anyway. I think that we're going to see that a lot of Evan Mobley's fates are tied to the fact that when he was thriving last year, a lot of his best games were with Lowry Markkinen. We need somebody to pull guys away from being able to just collapse into the lane and make things difficult for Allen and Mobley. Allen already has it tough enough. He's getting hammered. Guys will swing at balls. Guys will knock him down. The guy takes a lot of contact, and he plays through all of it, and he doesn't complain. But it is a luxury to be able to give him a little bit more room to maneuver. And look what we got tonight. We put Wade out there 40 points from our two giant twin towers. You got to keep that going, in my opinion. Not to say Okoro can't work his way back into the rotation at a later time, but if we're producing wins and guys are playing effectively, and this is all without Darius Garland. Dean Wade was a big component of what happened tonight. You have to continue that. So next up, the showdown between guys who are right near the top of the ballot for MVP. And while Mitchell may have taken a little skid tonight, sliding to 11th in the points per game, Tatum's right there amongst the top five. I would say Giannis. I would say Luka. I would say Devin Booker, who we're going to get into that whole Clay Thompson thing. Shooting 48% from deep, though, and scoring nearly 33 points a game. He's off to an amazing start. And Tatum, who is also incredibly efficient. And one of the most impressive things is that he's doing it with minimal turnovers. Almost everybody you see atop the scoring leaderboards in the NBA is turning the ball over three, four times a game. But not Tatum. He's scoring efficiently. He's rebounding. And his team is winning. So all those guys winning, of course, except for Luka, who's off to a bit of a slow start. But if you average a 30-point triple-double, 34-point near triple-double, people are going to overlook that. So I touched on Devin Booker there, which is another subject. After watching the replay of the game last night, because I didn't watch it in real time, I saw all the dust up with Draymond Green, and then I decided I would go back and watch because I wanted to see what was it that happened that got Clay to get heaved out of the game. And we got to see a lot of the trash talking. There was a lot of talking about having rings before he got thrown out, but just not Golden State's night last night. Got away from him pretty early. And at the time of his ejection, Clay was shooting pretty horrifically, had two points. Devin Booker had 20 points. And let's not kid ourselves, even with Jay Crowder out of the mix. I mean, there's a lot of dickheads on the Phoenix Suns. Also, a lot of dickheads on the Golden State Warriors. So usually it's Draymond, though. Clay is generally somewhat likable. But. As much as I don't like Devin Booker, and this may be the only time I side with him over Clay Thompson, I think when you're a team that has one of the worst shit talkers of all time in Draymond Green, if you're getting wrecked by the Suns, you just got to take it. Put it in context, Clay. Don't let him get to you like that because it's a regular season game. It doesn't matter. We've seen Devin Booker have some real clunkers in the postseason. Right now, he's getting the better of you. I also don't love the rings argument. 
And one of the things I do uh, with my day job is I do all the audio production for the Dan Patrick show. And one of the guys on the show, Seton, said something that resonated with me today. I'm going to play that. The ring talk <laughs> does get a little old, though. Shaq, you know, he's still like, uh, Chuck, I only talk to guys who have rings. <laughs> and it's like, dude, okay, man. But like, that's all you have to say now is like for, I only talk okay. to people who have rings. Good grief. I don't know what Devin like, Booker Charles said. just got you guys all a huge raise. How about that? <laughs> that is true. I don't know. Yeah, you're right you about keep, that. You keep cashing my checks, though. Yeah. Now, I agree with all of that in regards to the way they rag on Barkley. But the other thing I would say is this. I think I don't mind shit talk, but there's levels of players. If you're comparing yourself to a clear number one option, Clay has never been that. And Clay's an incredible player. Clay is not quite the player that he was, which is due to no fault of his own. Injuries happen. But Clay's always had the luxury of being amongst a bunch of other Hall of Fame-level players. Devin Booker played on some garbage teams, and now he plays on a very loaded team, and they win a lot of games. They have not won when it matters in the playoffs, but they've had success. But I don't love when third or fourth options trash talk first options, especially when the first option is roasting them. Those are the games you just kind of have to take it. He's got 20 points to your two. I get it. You're upset, but remember it. And then when you're beating them, when it actually matters, that's when you front run. If you want to know how to front run, just pull Draymond aside. He can teach you how to front run. He can also teach you how to punch your teammates in the face if you're wondering how to do that. But there's a time and a place, Clay. You're not really doing yourself any favors getting thrown out because who knows? Maybe you get some garbage time threes in the fourth quarter and the box score doesn't look so different. But when people look back on this game, all they're going to see is a blowout in which you sucked and he got to you enough mentally that you got heaved. And you're better than that, Clay. You're the likable one. It, it goes you at the top of the list, then Steph below that, and then way below that, like subterranean garage basement level, Draymond Green. So, And this is an, a recurring theme. I have one of my best friends is a Warriors fan. I know, shocking that we remain friends. But he tells me that I slander Draymond every podcast, which I realize is true. But now I feel like I have to do it. Now that he's put it in my head, there has to be at least one insult of Draymond Green per podcast. So on to the Boston Celtics. That's all I got to say for this episode. Thank you to everybody who's listened to the Fear the Fro podcast, especially all the ones who've uh, really ramped things up as this season began. I was extremely pleased to look at all the, the downloads and the subscriber numbers over these last couple episodes. And I am excited for all the things coming with this podcast in the you know coming weeks and months here. Uh, and it's definitely always a huge encouragement to see you guys participating because it makes me want to do more of them. Uh, and I am very grateful for everybody who listens. So thank you for listening. Thank you for rating. Thank you for subscribing. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, but lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan. And I will be back with more Fear the Fro. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.